from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates— Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is part one of our interview with Shaka. For more on Shaka, tune in tomorrow for part two. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. I'm your host, Tanya Sam, and today's guest is a dear friend. He is a world-renowned author, motivational speaker. He is currently the head of sales and success culture at Trip Actions. He is also the president of Shaka Singor Inc. and the founder of Redeem Soul. He is a New York Times bestselling author, having penned Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in American Prison. And his newest book is Letters to the Sons of Society. Please welcome to the podcast, Shaka Singor. Shaka, welcome hey. to Money Moves. Hey, I'm really excited to be here, and this could not have come at a better time in our culture, so super excited for all you all have going on and excited to dive into the conversation. Incredibly excited to have you on the podcast. Shaka, first of all, I've read both your books, and I know you have several, several books, but both of them are incredible. I've shared them with book clubs and really excited to dive into who you are. You know, with Money Moves, we are all about how we can start creating generational wealth for our families, for more. And your story is so impactful. You know, coming from what you've been through, you were incarcerated for 
almost almost close to two decades coming out as an author a motivational speaker i just really feel like our audience is going to love and connect with your story so i, I want to go back to the very beginning i know a lot about your story but tell us about little shaka and how at such a young age you ended up in prison and then we'll talk about your phoenix rising story after that yeah so thank you so much for having me you know i grew up in detroit um, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood that looked like the model for working class, middle class America. My dad was in the Air Force. He also worked for the state. And my mom was a homemaker. And unfortunately, we had some complexities in our household that led to me running away when I was about 14. I was an honor roll scholarship student, dreams of being a doctor. And mm. unfortunately, I found myself seduced into the crack cocaine trade. And within the first six months of being within that culture, I was robbed at gunpoint, I was beat nearly to death, and my childhood friend was murdered. And despite wow. all these you know, atrocious things happening, uh, I remained in that culture up until my incarceration. But prior to my incarceration, uh, when I was 17 years old, I got shot multiple times, down on the corner of my block. Wow. And 16 months later, I shot and tragically caused a man's death. I was sentenced to 17 to 40 years in prison. I ended up serving 19 years in prison with seven wow. of those years being in solitary confinement. And, you know, I was really fortunate to be uh, able to meet some of the most incredible mentors in the world that really helped me transform the way that I thought about life, uh, transform my, you know, behaviors. And, you know, I emerged from prison in June of 2010, one day after my 38th birthday. Wow. 19 years in prison, incarcerated, seven of those in solitary confinement. So talk about those formative years, because I mean, your story gives me chills. You know, you were just a young kid and truly, you know, a product of circumstance, the cycle of poverty, the crack academic in Detroit. And so you went in, you were incarcerated. And how was it that you were able to survive those years? What was it that fueled you through? You talk a lot about your relationship with your father in your books as well. How did you survive. Yeah, you know, when I, I remember standing in front of the judge and being sentenced and thinking to myself that my life was over. Uh, at 19, I could barely see two weeks down the line, let alone mm. two decades. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's, you know, things that occurred in there that really shifted the way that I thought about life and really inspired me and empowered me to actually imagine a life for myself outside of prison. But it didn't come overnight. You know, when I first walked into prison, I was bitter. I was angry. I got into a lot of trouble. I accumulated a total of 36 misconducts, which means that they range from everything from uh, dangerous contraband to assault on officer, assault on inmates. Um, you know, I was raising hell in there, you know, and, and, you know, despite this, there was these group of men who saw something valuable in me. They saw mm -hmm. uh, the authentic person that I was and not the mask that we were forced to wear given the circumstances. And they just started providing me with books and then they would challenge me to these debates. And, you know, I started reading like Donald Goins and Iceberg Slim. And that led me to reading, you know, Malcolm X and Angela Maya, uh, Maya Angelou and, you know, so many of the great writers from the Harlem Renaissance. And then I got into philosophy. Uh, but it took some time. You know, it was, you know, I was eight years in when I ended up in solitary uh, for what turned out to be four and a half years straight. So that was my third stint. Wow. My, yeah, but my longest stint. And I just began to apply those lessons. I began to set my cell up as if I was at university. 
I studied a different subject matter every hour. And wow. then I would write late into the evening. And so that's where my journey as a writer began. That's where I began to write down the vision I wanted for myself. Uh, I still have my journals to this day where I, I set my goals. And I didn't know if I was getting out of prison at that time. But what I did know is that, you know, given my circumstances, as long as I made a commitment to transform my life, tap into my gifts, that I would be able to produce positive outcomes, whether in or out of prison. Chaga, this is just so beautiful because number one, it comes, you know, I feel like I always talk about mentorship and, you know, oftentimes as people of color, we're always looking for mentors that look like us. But, you know, I think what's so interesting about mentorship is mentors are everywhere. Here you are incarcerated and you had people that were able to guide you in a place where there's not a lot of hope, right? You didn't know if you were going to get out, but they were at least able to give you these seeds of hope and education that essentially changed your life. Yeah, these men were incredible. Uh, I mean, and they still are incredible. Some of them have come home after doing 40, you know, 40 plus years. And, you know, I talk to them now all the time and they just talk about how proud they are of me. And honestly, out of everything that I've accomplished thus far, post-incarceration, uh, just having the confirmation from, from these older brothers who, you know, challenged me, you know, we would have these heated debates I was a fast reader, so a lot of times they would be like, ah, oh, you didn't read that mm -hmm. book. What's in chapter three or what's in chapter eight? And we would get into these very profound philosophical debates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these men are some of the wisest men I've met. And I have incredible mentors out here, great friends who are highly accomplished. Um, but I don't, you know, I just don't think there's anything that compares to these mm -hmm. men who saw this true value in me and, and really guided me to uh, think about life differently. So at this point, I want to talk about, you know, we talk about this trajectory, especially in the black culture of like what we grew up thinking success looked like. And for you, I mean, you were on the streets. You had people that, you know, indoctrinated you into, you know, selling crack. You talk very openly about, you know, you, you dabbled and used it yourself. So 17-year-old Shaka, what did wealth look like to him? And did you think that you were going to ever be successful and wealthy? You know, that's, that's such an interesting question because I, you know, I started hustling when I was 14 years old and this was at the height of the crack cocaine. This was the beginning of it first emerging in Detroit. And, you know, I was amongst one of the best hustlers, uh, but I didn't have any financial management skills. So fast as I made mm -hmm. it, I spent it. I, and, you know, taking care of friends in the neighborhood and things of that nature. Uh, but what wealth looked like to me was, you know, having a car, having the jewelry, having you know, the means to, to move about the community and get that adoration that comes with being, you know, a street success in, mm -hmm, in so many mm -hmm. regards. Uh, you know, I grew up in a household. My dad has always worked, uh, but it was six kids, you know, and so those dollars had to stretch a long way. And as a kid, you don't quite understand why you can't get this sneaker this week because mm -hmm. two, two older siblings need these things. And so I watched my, my parents struggle to navigate their budget uh, there weren't many people around us who had actually accrued a great deal of wealth. It was people who was working and taking care of their families, but we didn't see um, things outside of the struggle. And I remember feeling like a burden to my parents at one point, you know, because it would mm. be like, hey, boy, you know how hard I've worked to get this. And I never wanted that to have that experience or that feeling again, uh, even though in hindsight, I understand why and what they were communicating. Um, mm -hmm. The streets really brought me a different perspective about 
money and, and how, you know, you can make money. And, I, and, and the way that I see street culture now, um, you know, tragically and unfortunately, has definitely been a detriment to our community. Uh, mm -hmm. But the skill sets that you learn from hustling, they're applicable in any corporate setting. And so, you know, I always just try to encourage the young brothers, if they hustle in the streets, flip that hustle to something legit um, and use that same energy and you can produce better outcomes. So fast forward now, you're writing. At what point did you realize when incarcerated that release was possible, you know, and you had to focus on the other side of being incarcerated and what you were going to do when you got out? That's a great question. So I actually started writing uh, while I was in solitary confinement. So I've been writing now mm -hmm. for over 20 years. Uh, I published my first book from prison in 2008, which was the same year I went up for parole. And I remember getting denied parole. And at that time, I had published one book. I was a partner in publishing a second book. And I was contributing into a, a few other books. Um, and, you know, after that first parole board hearing, I didn't know if I was going to get out. Um, they denied me. I went back up a second time. They denied me again, and I almost lost hope. Uh, but, you know, I was encouraged by my dad and, and the people in my life at the time to keep, you know, pressing forward. And, you know, when I got, you know, that notification that I was being released, mm -hmm. it, it was surreal, you know. But I knew that I had to come home and just align with my purpose and get out and hustle um, until I had a breakthrough. So this is what I love, because this is when we get into the hustle, because now you've done your time, you've come out, you've sort of grown into this man, and you're an author. So you you were in prison hustling and being an entrepreneur and selling books. Talk about when you got out and, you know, now you started selling these books from the trunk of your car. Absolutely. So the first day I got out, uh, June 22nd, 2010, the first thing I did, like Lily right there in the parole uh, uh, office, parking lot was sold a book to a man who had just got out with me and he had you know just a few dollars and you know he was like man I want to buy one of your books and I've been selling books ever since then it's 12 years now um yeah. and when I you know when I when I hear people talk about their hustlers and things like that um I'm like you know I'm one of the best in the business <laughs> I I, yes. I hustled I didn't care where I went you know I sold books you know at the gentlemen's clubs I sold books to Jehovah Witnesses at the local bar Everywhere I was, I would go up to the park. You know, people didn't know who I was except for the people who was around during my era. And I would just hustle books to everybody I saw, barbershops, hair salons, nail salons, you know. And, and it's one of the things I'm still passionate about now. It's nothing like that hand-to-hand -hand sale, even though, you know, my books are all over the world now. Um, but that love and that passion for the hustle and, and knowing that this was a product that I can literally stand by, uh, was one of the most rewarding things and and a great thing that you know i can share with you a lot of people don't know the version of my book that reached oprah wasn't the one that people see on shelves it was the ones that i was hustling out of the trunk hold so, up hold up hold up yeah. now i know this but you got we got to dive into this okay if y'all know shaka so one of and this is what i love about hope this is what i love about just being who you are because i firmly believe the more authentic we are the more that the universe puts people in our way to take us Absolutely. to our truly destined path and this part is really incredible because y'all you come out of prison you're hustling on the streets like he was like i would sell anywhere and that to me is like true hustle right but somehow you wrote this incredible book that got into the hands of oprah yeah. Guys, I was banging yes. on the table. My producer was like, stop banging on the table. But that's how excited <laughs> I was, like into the hands of Oprah. And people always ask this, like, how did it happen? Like, yeah. you know, and, and what that meant for the trajectory of your career. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a great story when you think about, you know, manifestation. I'm a firm believer in that. Write it down mm-hmm. and make it happen. Dream it into existence. Speak it into existence. And so I wrote down, when I first finished my first book, I was like, okay, what do I want to happen with my work? And I was like, okay, I'm going to set the bar as high as possible to the point that it's going to seem so absurd. And the goal for me was for Oprah to read one of my books and to be a New York Times bestseller. Now, this was, you know, prior to me even getting out of solitary when I wrote this down. Uh, so when I came home, I just, I was hustling. I was my own PR, my own publicist. And I ended up seeing an opportunity, which I think all entrepreneurs should think about, is where are the opportunities, right? I got invited mm-hmm. to speak at this event. I looked at the list of the people who were in the room. It was an incredible group. I asked the organizer, could I donate 100 books, which on my books was about $2,500 worth of books. I didn't have $2,500 in my, in my bank account. But I was like, you mm. know, I'm going to bet on this move because I believe mm. this is the move that's going to change my life. Just so happens there was a woman in that room who heard me tell my story, went back to her room, read the book. And unbeknownst to me, she took the book to Oprah and gave it wow. to her. Hand delivered. So there was no publicist. There was no PR. There was no publishing house. This was a matter of instinct, uh, making a move that led to a series of things. Oprah gets the book. She refuses to read it because she's like, why would I read about this guy? And then what happened is she moved a book around her house because she don't throw books away. Eventually took the book with her on a flight, 60 pages in of reading this self-published book. No professional editing. She was like, I got to interview this man. We ended up doing the interview. She said that it was one of the tops in her career, (gasps) uh, one of the greatest conversations in her lifetime, and said that the memoir was one of the best memoirs she's ever read. And, you know, to me, it's just a testament of believing in yourself, betting on yourself, and then executing and taking risks. At that time, when I took that risk, again, I didn't have any money in my account, but I knew that my product was was worthy of being in households all over the world mm-hmm. and that eventually it was going to get in the right hands and somebody was going to believe in what I had written because I felt like I was that good. And so, you know, it's one of those, one of my favorite stories to tell when you're talking about dreaming into existence and then executing based on what you believe uh, should happen with your stuff. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your 
your perfect home sweet home. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And, you know, I just want, because I feel like there's so, and you know, because Shaka, you've spent, you know, several, several years helping with, um, helping with recidivation acts and helping people who have been incarcerated. And I feel like hope is such a big thing, you know? And so your story, there's so many people who have records, this, who are trying to find their place and trying to find their way. And you dove into helping many people be able to do that. But this, having Oprah read your book, getting a New York Times bestseller, um, I just, I really want to share more of it, like how you did it. So let's go back to the steps of, you had this book, you've published it now. How did you learn the steps? Because I think that a lot of people get tripped up on entrepreneurship because they just don't think, well, I can't do it. But part of it is just persevering and pushing through. Absolutely. I, I always say don't don't let a person's no be your mm-hmm. never. I mean, I, I wrote mm. people from, from, from prison. I wrote, I remember I wrote Def Jam. I wrote a letter to Jay-Z like, yo, start a Rockefeller publishing. I'm a great writer. And I, wrote, I would write all these people. Sometime I would hear back. Sometime I wouldn't. But what I what I believe is is that if you believe in what what it is that mm. you want to accomplish, nothing's going to stop you. Um, you know, the, the, the greatest barrier is always going to be between your two ears. And so for me, I just saw those no's as not right now. Um, and mm-hmm. I just continue to execute. I continue to take risks, but I also continue to feed myself information. You know, I'm a I'm a avid reader. Uh, you know, I was reading all these magazines when I was in prison, Black Enterprise, Entrepreneur, Inc. Uh, but I got this book on self-publishing. And that book taught me everything I needed to know about the industry. And then I bought a book on guerrilla marketing. And then when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I sold drugs in the street. Uh, I can sell books. You know? Right. And so for me, it was just like, it, it's, a, it's a process, though. And what I think what happens is people spend so much of their time focusing on somebody who's already gone through the process mm-hmm. and they get discouraged because they're not where that person is. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we all have our own process. We all have our own journey. Uh, but you got to have a beast of a will to make it after incarceration. I'm going to just say that uh, because I, like now at this stage, people think it's easy because I've made a lot of things look easy. Uh, but you have to have an indomitable will. You have to believe in yourself to the point of being like almost seeming crazy. Um, Fanatical. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you got to find your believers. You got to find people that you can talk to about your dream every day. I would talk to my best friend. His name is Calvin. He served 24 years for a crime he didn't commit. I would talk his ear off every day. We would walk the yard in a joint, and I would say to Calvin, like, man, one day Oprah going to read one of my books. I'm going to be a bestseller. I'm going to take, you know, all of the stuff that I make from this. I'm going to invest it in this and make these things happen. And now Calvin's been home about seven or eight years and we celebrate and we, you know, sit back and we, you know, we, we, we have our cigars and our cocktails and we just talk about how that commitment and then having people to hold you accountable, um, you know, keeps, keeps you going. So I would just say to any entrepreneurs out there, like you have to have that indomitable will and you have to trust the process, believe in it, uh, but be fully present in it. 
Okay, so now I'm going to put the books aside because obviously you've garnered so much success there. And I want to talk about how it was raising a son. Because this is something I think is also really important. I need to touch on this. You have two sons. Yes. Your first was born right as you were going into prison. And your second, how old is Seku now? I say cool's ten now. He's ten or ten and a half. He wants his half. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But let's talk about, you know, because I think being able to share, there's so many fathers on this podcast, there's so many mothers on this podcast. Obviously, you know, there's so many people in our community who are who are incarcerated and wondering how, on how to deal that and also change the trajectory of their lives to be able to provide for their families, build generational wealth. Talk and your and your book talks a lot about this. I mean, this is sort of the essence of letters to my son. Talk a little bit more about why that was so important for you to change the trajectory, you know, and I think your position is very unique because you've had you have two sons that are distinct age differences and distinct periods in your life that you've been now able to pour into them. Talk to our audience a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, one of the greatest untapped resources in our community is the emotional access to fatherhood. The more we awaken that, that resource and, and really create space for dads to show up fully and authentically, uh, it's life-changing, you know, being emotionally mm-hmm. available, uh, being vulnerable with our sons and being honest about, you know, our failures as much as our successes, I think it's just a game-changer, you know. And right now with Sekou, who's 10, you know, I feel like I have this great opportunity to really empower him to think about himself as an empowered being. You know, Sekou started his first business uh, when he was nine years old, you know, and it's really incredible to watch him as a young entrepreneur. He's selling his merch. Uh, he's a great spokesman, a great pitchman for his merch and what he believes in. But he also is really curious about how money works and as his dad, like it's my responsibility to ensure and show him the ways that I've, I've failed with money management and the ways that I've succeeded with it, you know, and to kind of lay that out without fear of, you know, judgment. And I think that's one of the things that's been an impediment in our community is mm-hmm. and especially when you're a dad, you know, and you're, and you're tasked with being a breadwinner and provider. If you're not, you know, where you want to be financially, it can be Mm -hmm. hard to communicate that to your children. Children have wants and needs, and it can be crushing as a dad when your child comes and say, hey, I want this thing, and and you have to give them excuse because you can't afford it. So for me, it's more about, here, let me explain to you what this looks like, and let's walk through this, and let's set a budget, and let's think about how do you manage your your dollars, and then what do you want your long-term financial outcomes to be? And it's great. You know, it's the greatest responsibility, you know, fatherhood and, and being able to pour into him love and affirmations, which is was the inspiration for his brand. You know, it's just incredible to see how it enlivens him and it really gives him this boost of courage to go out and figure out all the things that he's curious about and, and to enjoy it. And so I would just say to the dads on here, you know, the greatest gift you can give your child is complete access to their emotions by literally demonstrating complete access to your emotions. And so the duality of that gift is second to none in terms of raising uh, children and especially our boys with a sense of purpose and, and passion. I mean, I love that because I've seen you with Seku, and you know he is a little mini entrepreneur. And this is what I love about our generation: it's we're doing things very differently from what our parents did. You know, our parents, and I'll speak for myself here. You know, my dad came as an immigrant from 
from Africa and he was more concerned just about like get a job, go to school. And now we're pushing entrepreneurship into nine-year-olds. I'm sure, you know, Seiku has a bank account and I've watched him sort of grow through your parenting. And this is what I think is really going to be the pivotal time in our generation for black people, being able to push our kids in ways, and I, I mean push in the nicest way, right? To allow them to grow and be entrepreneurs, think about building wealth for themselves from such a young age. But I'm gonna pause there and also say, the other thing that really resonated with me is like this idea of being vulnerable with our sons, you know, this access to emotions, that's something really special. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I saw my dad as this kind of, bigger than life figure. You know, my dad was in the Air Force and, you know, whenever he would come home with his uniform, he just seemed like a superhero. And, you know, my dad evolved over time, you know, and we were able to really build our relationship while I was incarcerated. And he opened up to me about all type of things. And I knew that's how I wanted to parent. Uh, like I want to mm -hmm. be transparent. I wanted to be emotionally available. I want my son to see me not just when I'm, you know, working and, and, and making mm -hmm. things happen, but also when I'm in joy. A lot of times, mm -hmm. like, you know, children don't get a sense to see their parents celebrate joy. Um, and, like, that's so important, especially mm. for boys seeing their dad, um, to see us just be carefree and to frolic. You know, frolicking is the thing right now. Um, and, and I love it, you know, being able, when there's moments of sadness. Uh, we had yep. two very tough things happen um, last year. You know, my brother, unfortunately, was murdered, and then our puppy was killed. And to be yes. able to sit in the, to be able to sit in the sadness and to let my son bear mm -hmm. witness to that, you know, when our puppy was killed, you know, that morning when I had to explain it to say, cool, like we sat in the, in the, on the couch and, and, you know, I just hugged him and we cried together and we talked about what we would miss about Indy, you know, um, you know, he wiped my tears as I cried about my brother's unfortunate death. And, and so for him to have that type of access to me as a dad, like it's just created this emotionally balanced, well-rounded kid. And, and I just wish more dads would do that. Uh, and not just dads, moms as well. Some, some moms yep. have the task of being, you know, the, the super mom and they have to wear the cape. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that protective shield, you know, doesn't create that emotional space that children need uh, to be more well-rounded. So Shaka, can you tell us where everyone can follow your journey if they're not following on social media, where they can find you and keep in touch and also where your books are? Yeah, so the books are everywhere. Books are sold. Uh, you can definitely check me out up under my name, Shaka Singor, on all social platforms. My website is uh, shakasingor.com. So I'm easy to find uh, across everything related to my name. Uh, and the books are everywhere. So catch them. And if you're lucky, you might catch me pulling one out the trunk because I keep them on me. Hey, you got to go back to the core, hustling outside, <laughs> selling books out of a trunk. Right. Shaka, this was so I mean, the good. Trunk, the, um, the trunk looked different now, but it's still out the trunk. It's, it's a different trunk. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to ask you what type of car it is now because I, I, I know you deserve it. You have worked hard for all your blessings Facts. and you deserve every single one of them. So much love. Congratulations. Congratulations on your engagement. Yay. I just, the best is yet to come for you. And I'm so proud of you. It is such a pleasure. 
And Money Movers, that is all the time we have for today. But make sure you follow Shaka on all his social media handles. Check out his books. It is two incredible, incredible reads. And we'll all be paying attention for these TV shows and newer publications that are coming up. Thank you again for your time, Shaka. Thank you for your light. And if we have helped you to make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge, and or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.